Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast brought to you by the World Football Index. On today's pod, we're going to be discussing how Liverpool have almost made it into the Champions League group stages after three long years in the wilderness. And because we finished fourth, we've got a couple of Champions League qualifiers to negotiate. So we managed to beat Hoffenheim yesterday by two goals to one, putting us in an excellent position for the return leg at Anfield next week. So we'll be mulling over the events of the game and any lingering transfer business. I'm your host today as Dave Karen is doing a Coutinho and has decided to go on strike, forcing me to take the hot seat. And I think it's only fair that he joins as a guest to explain himself, Dave. Explain yourself. I'm not explaining anything, but I've got a question for you. What's that? Have you ever been to San Francisco? I have not, no. Are you sure? Yeah. Absolutely. No, because the intro music today was inspired by your um, by your profile picture recently. Um, you know, that... <laughs> Very sixties flower power era, you know, and and I thought it fitting today to change the the intro music, which you don't know what it is yet, but but you'll get it, you'll mm-hmm. you'll, you'll see whenever it comes out. Since it's a, a tumultuous occasion of you hosting for the first time, you did it in one take. Fucking fair play, oh. you know, it took <laughs> fucking damn times. So there you go. Well, talking of intro musics, I think our next guest's um, song in the WhatsApp group yesterday should be the intro music, shouldn't it? No, that's the outro music, actually. Oh, is it? Okay, so our next guest is um, David Dunning. <laughs> Hi, Dave. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Well, I'm I was good up until I heard that. <laughs> no, that's um, definitely coming on. Uh, if for those of you that don't know, Dave um, sang a really lovely song tribute to Trent Alexander-Arnold yesterday. So we're going to have that on here somewhere. <laughs> I hope, Dave. So I'm going to call you David today, just so we're not confused with Dave from Brazil. Is that okay? That's fine. That's fine. Cool. And last but not least, we've got our very own Hendo joining us today. Johnny, how are you, Johnny? I'm very well, Holmes. Thank you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm hoping you're going to put in a much better performance than than Jordan did yesterday. Or is that well, harsh? I'm <laughs> well, for he's starters, I've showed up. <laughs> yeah. I've turned up. So I'm ahead already. Oh, he's- Yep, he's already he's already better than that's brilliant. Right, so let's just I think we should just get into the meaty stuff now because I know you're all dying to talk about um, the defence yesterday and and Dayan Lovren in particular. So <laughs> even I'm having a little bit of trouble defending him after yesterday after he's uh, nervous and shaky more so than usual game that he had conceding a penalty didn't help his cause either had a couple of chances to maybe put the game to bed at the other end so. I'm going to give it. I'm going to start with Dave actually, because I know you're you're a bit shy and you like you know you hold back when it comes to Dave and Lovren. So go on then, do your worst. I'm going to say the back four, and I'm leaving Trent out of this because I thought in in the last couple of games I think this kid's great and and exonerated from any of what I'm about to say. Before we even get into Lovren, we have Mengele and we have Moreno, and you know it, it, it's it's Groundhog Day in reverse for them. Basically, Moreno looked. Great in preseason, he wasn't that bad now uh, against Watford, but I thought he was terrible. <laughs> I thought he was terrible in this, and it reminds you of why he sat on the bench the whole time. Mingale did heroics, but I sort of called that Neil Devlin. I had a bit of a sort of spat in the uh, WhatsApp group earlier on before the game, and I sort of said to him, "You know, look, it's Simon Mingale. He was awful. He made all his mistakes in one game. He'll be brilliant this game, but that's not good enough for us." And then we'll, we'll come on. I, I saw that thing that was put out, you know, basically our, our goalkeeper and back four, a set of clowns, basically, Coco, a clown, and whatnot. And, and honestly, I, I don't know. I had hopes for Jill Matip, and those hopes are sort of dwindling away. Uh, and I don't know whether it is because of the ineptitude of the clown beside him. I think Lovren was a bit harshly done by for the penalty. Uh, I think John maybe has a wee bit more on that, uh, you know, as to as to why it was a pen. But you know, e- even watching the replay, I think he was a bit, a bit hard done by. But ultimately, he's just he's not Liverpool fit. It's not what we want or what we need. And and the fact that we're sitting here, you know, on the sixteenth of August with a supposed two hundred million pound war chest, you know, with a net spend of about ten million at the minute, like what's going on? You know, why are we having to suffer this defence? Our, our front three look great at times. Um, there's no doubt about it. We'll cause teams problems. But that's all very well and good. But whenever you're creating your own problems at the back, which we seem to be doing, and it's Groundhog Day, it's the same thing round and round and round again. And it's the same conversation that we're having round and round and round again. There's nothing more to add to it that hasn't already been said. They're not fit for purposes. Right. So, David, I'm going to come to you now because I know that you think he was partially done by yesterday, Lovren, don't you? 
<laughs> right. I think, <laughs> let me get this straight, Ooms. I, I, I think he was first done by when it comes to the goal. Um, I, I don't think he's at fault for the goal. It doesn't excuse him for the multiple errors that preceded that particular chain of events, but he's the first centre half where they have the ball. He's he's facing the ball, and for me, if if you're going to line any sort of line at all, um, it should be man up like Omar Lovren is and get in line with him, so we can see Lovren and the ball, and and Trent should be doing the same. Now. Maddox too high, Trent's also too high, and the, the I, I said it last night. I, I have this issue with with players at any point putting their hands in the air or you know shouting for decisions while the game is going on around them. An experience from him, and he'll 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 no doubt. I doubt we'll see him do that again. But it, what it doesn't excuse again, we come back to Lover is him. Um, having a go with the referee when he gave a free kick away in the halfway line um, instead of getting himself back into position and leaving Maddup um, two on one in which Mignolet makes uh, comes out and makes a great save from and then I think Wagner just kind of pulled the rebounder wide I think it uh, maybe maybe clipped the, clipped the outside of the post anyway you know that brings us to, to Maddup and just looks so laid back and um, Does he need like a better partner, Dave? Is that what it is? I don't think that's going to stop him looking like he smoked a joint before he goes out and plays a game of football. You know, it's like watching it's like watching Berbatov playing centre half, just ambling about, and and he looks really elegant and really classy. But there's there's a, a lack of bite to him that I think is required, particularly coming up big, coming up against big strong centre forwards. It kind of begs the question, if Liverpool do um, get their first-choice centre-back target, we all know who that is, we'll, we'll come up um, talk about him later, who's going to partner him? Because is it a given that Lovren's going to get dropped? Because Matic's been just as shaky lately. I don't think so. Um, you know, we've seen Lovren play, and, and I personally think he played better on the right-hand side when he's been partnered with Sacco. Now, whether that's got to do with him being more comfortable on the right or, or, or being with Sacco there, or maybe just not having that lunatic Moreno um, beside him. So, in short, I don't think it's nailed on. I absolutely don't think it's nailed on. Um, I think Maddox's been quite poor the first two games. So, you know, I, I think neither of our centre-halves at the moment are covering themselves with glory. Um, and I would I would like to also just finish on, on the back four by saying that I hope that this is the last time we hear a call for Alberto Moreno to start a game of football because... He is an accident waiting to happen four or five times a match. So that's it. That's it for me. Um, the back is hugely concerning with the one bright spot being being Trent on the right hand side, who was who was superb. Right. So Johnny, what do you um, think? Do you think that Moreno and Lovren together is that the issue? Is it just Lovren? Is it Moreno on his own? What is it, or is it just a combination of the two? Because I remember in the past they've been pretty much of a train wreck together there. Um, so, what yeah. are your thoughts on that? And and I think Dave mentioned uh, that he didn't think that Lovren foul was a penalty. What what are your thoughts on those two things? When you when you start talking about Lovren and Moreno, they've, we've never looked particularly solid down that side of the defence when they play. But I think it's a wider issue as well. I mean, we just leave those two out of it and talk about Matip as well. And there's been problem for a while now with there just seems to be a lack of communication. Neither of them seem to be commanding, taking the lead. I slightly disagree on the Moreno point, which I know he had a poor game. He had a poor game yesterday. But one of the things that really gets highlighted with Moreno is in being caught up the pitch. But I, I don't accept that. The way Liverpool play, he's an attacking fullback. Liverpool's whole game plan is is built around the fullbacks playing high up the pitch, offering width. Now sometimes we lose the ball in attack. And if a team switches the play long really quickly, he's gonna be out of position. My issue with Moreno defensively is that when he is back and when he is jockeying, uh, when he needs to jockey a player, he dives in. He sometimes tries to win the ball uh, ahead of them when he shouldn't do. 
So these are these are decision making aspects. Now, from an offensive point of view, we're an offensive team. We like to play with the ball and be on the front foot. I still would prefer him to Milner. And I think we've seen, you know, in the preseason games where he, where he offers that width. And in the second half, there were several times where he, where he got wide and put in some, some, some really good balls. Obviously, it goes without saying. I think we bought Robertson for a reason. I don't know why he's not in at the minute. I don't know whether they just want to ease him in, not throw him in in these, these pressure games. But if so, that, you, that raises a question mark about, you know, does Klopp have a doubt around him? You would have thought these are the type of games you'd want your supposed first choice left back in. Um, as with the Lovren thing, yeah, he, he had a really he had a really poor game. Having watched the the penalty a couple of times, initially I thought it was harsh. I know when we were talking about it during the game, my pal who's a who's a fully qualified FIFA referee and indeed refereed the the game in the Queen Bar, his view was it was a penalty um, because the guy. You know, Nabry changed direction. Lovren was slow, and then he dangled his leg, and it's that movement that, that makes a penalty. But I just thought, not convinced. And I agree with, I agree with Dave when he's talking about you know that that unit just don't look, they don't look solid. The goal is, I, I disagree with Dunnan on the goal because I always think that if you're not in line with the rest of your defence, you're you're to blame. You're playing them on side. Haven't said that, even though it was Lovren done that. The main culprit for the goal is Trent because he's got his arm in the air and he's yeah. dallying. He had loads he was, of opportunity. He was offside. Um, uh, he was playing the guy onside, but it, was, it wasn't by very much. It was quite minimal. It, it was. And, and listen, at the end of the day, there's a, there's a defensive line. And, you know, at that level, they should be getting that sort of stuff right. But the reality is Trent keeps his hand in the air for ages. He dallies. He could have easily, if he was switched on and alert, he just comes in there and he deals with that. He makes he, he makes a block or he puts the, the forward off. So Mignolet had a great day, but as, but, as, but as Dave said as well, you know, we can't have this where he's abysmal one week and really good. We, we, need, we need more consistency. And we haven't even talked about the fact that there is no protection either at the minute for that back four. And that's not helping because, you know, Jordan Henderson at number six just for me doesn't work. He doesn't cover. Well, here, John, if you have a proper number six in there, c- can you can you carry a Moreno then? You know, because you've, you've highlighted rightly about those, um, you know, forward runs and whatnot. Common sort of train of thought as he gets caught up there. But if you've a, if you've a good number six sitting in there in front of a, de- a, a much better centre-back pairing or a much more confident centre-back pairing, do, does that allow you the, the luxury of a Moreno to you? Johnny, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you up to a point where Moreno's decision-making is by far his, his biggest weakness. But at the same time, how many times did you see Trent get caught out with that cross-field pass that they seem to deploy quite often? It seemed to be a real key tactic for them, um, the switch to the play over the back of the, over the, over the head of the fullback. And Trent got caught out once for the goal, which was more like a cross, but it was still that same type of ball. That was it, where Moreno was caught out time and time again with the same, uh, the same tactic. And you think even in a game, you're, you're going to start, you know, after it happened to you two or three times, God forbid it should happen two or three times, he's really, really happy it happened once if it happens at all, but he would switch on to that, never seemed to. I don't think that fixes the problem. I'm not saying Milner's the answer, but I think we're more fragile at the back than we are going forward. And I think if you want your left back to be dominant in one area at the moment in that team with the, all the other issues, I think extensively because we'll still score goals. I, I would say this, though, that you can't deny for a, for a second. I think if, if you think of a top class number and an outstanding left-sided centre-back and Van Dijk's world-class, what all the top sides have and these teams that have that have dominated football, you know, over recent years and been really consistent in Europe, whether it's been your, you know, your Real Madrids, your, your Barcelonas, your Bayern Munichs, being the main examples, what they've always had is fullbacks that play high and they play wide, and a part of that is the risk that you take, where you need a really good, strong player that can screen to cover and fill in. And you also need centre-backs who are quick and can handle one-on-one situations. Like I, I think of the likes of 
for years, Pique at Barcelona, centre-backs that aren't afraid of being put in a one-to-one. And that's what happens when you lose the ball and those type of teams that are that offensive. The risks that they take outweigh the, you know, the, the negatives because they, they'll risk it. They'll, they'll overload in the, in the final third of the goals to, to kill the team off. And I think it's, I'm, not, I'm not excusing it, I think, but I do think he'd look a hell of a lot better. However, you know, for me, the solution is really simple. Let, let's see Robertson, who looked pretty good, who, who, who definitely has more about him defensively and also, and also looks good. But I think there's no question about it. If we had better players there, we could get away with that, that weakness. I'm not sitting here going Marino was great yesterday. At best, he gets probably a, a five out of ten for his performance. But I think it's certainly a fact that he's not that style of a fullback doesn't be helped at Liverpool with the back four we have at the moment with the centre back and the they're not really up to it. That's just my view. Right. So speaking of fullbacks then, from one fullback to the next one. So we we've got to talk about Trent Alexander on, which you've already um touched upon his involvement in the goal. And I think Klopp even alluded in his post match interview to he he sort of jokingly said that our little hero put his hands up uh, for that goal. And I think he you know he was kind of saying that he shouldn't have done that. So basically what you guys are all saying. But apart from that, I think he had a brilliant game and just the goal he scored reminded me a little bit of, you know, a little bit of Stevie G maybe scoring free kick from set pieces. Yeah, he scored a fantastic goal. Some people were suggesting that maybe he may be better in midfield or and, you know, maybe what he lacks in defence, he makes up for in, in, in attack. What do you guys have to say about that? Because his strengths do seem further forward. I'll come to um, Johnny first with this one. He's a phenomenal prospect, Trent. He's he's come along so much. He just, he just plays with a real calmness and authority about him that's belies his years, really. I mean, I thought after 15, 20 minutes of the game, he was head and shoulders above anybody else playing playing for Liverpool last night. And that's saying something when it's a high-pressure game in Germany to get into the, the Champions League. He's, he's very confident. He's very strong on the ball. And he offers a bit of variety from right back. But, you know, I, I know Nathaniel Klein's a, an England international, but he can see passes. He can clip balls over the top. He can throw balls through. Um, his ability to deliver a cross is phenomenal. He's, he can get that whip on a ball. He showed it with his corners um, on the first day of the season at Watford. He was where he was, you know, he was causing havoc. He had that one in that Matt had put onto the bar. Uh, for me, um, he has the absolute lot, and it does seem like he might be a bit over talented for a fullback. But but it's a nice problem to have. But it's been a long time since we could say that we, we looked to have a player come through there. I mean, it's been a big criticism since, you know, those days when McManaman, Fowler, Owen, Carraher, and then, you know, Gerard came through. It's been a big criticism of the academy that we haven't got anyone. But it looks like right now that we've got a, we've got a world day on our hands. And uh, I just hope that we manage him properly. Don't burn him out. But he's certainly going to be a, a big, big player for us this season, which is Quite a quite a thing to say about an eighteen year old. Yeah, I was just gonna say he's eighteen, so maybe he plays with that fearlessness as well. So he doesn't feel that pressure, which is you know, you know, advantage, um, considering some of the the senior members of our squad that seem to crumble under pressure. What about then when Nathaniel Klein comes back? Does he just automatically get his place back? Dave, would you want to go with that one? What do you think? I just want to agree with everything John said there. That's exactly what I was said myself. Only only one more thing. That's a future captain, that lad. At 18, like if he was a couple of years older, I would say fucking fire him the arm bad now because he showed more bloody leadership than that fucking idiot running around the middle there. It's like, oh, I can't have Henderson at the minute. Just cannot have him. And I just can't have him as captain. And, and I, I would go to those lengths. That, that young lad is exceptional. I think he'll, he's one of the ones, you know, we lost Lucas, a player who gets us. And we look bereft of having a player even close to, to getting us again until this. Um, so what was your question, Ums? <laughs> Does uh, Nathaniel Klein get straight back in for you? What, what's that's a good problem for Klopp to have, you know. So, what does he do when when uh, Klein Klein's back? Well, I think Johnny sort of hit hit perfectly on it. We don't want to see Trent every single game and see the kid getting burned out. No, you know, I, I would hope that Klopp has planned the season around the fact that he's going to be using the two of them. Um, and, and I think that the young lad there is showing enough that he, he's got, he's going to be a part of this season. And for the bigger games, I, I would, I would want to see him, but that's, there's plenty of, plenty of opportunity there for Klein as well. You know, the two of them can, can share that role throughout the season with enough games. 
But if, you know, if, I, if I'm pushed at the minute, I, I, I go for Trent every time. But again, I don't mind so much if Klopp thinks that Klein's better for a certain type of game and whatnot. I'm happy to go with that. I can see the, the deficiencies in Klein and, and the differences whenever you see like the young Trent running there at the, the corner of the box, you know something's going to happen. Whereas with Klein, you go, ah, fuck, here we go again. But, but he, he brings other qualities, um, that, that hopefully Trent will develop into, uh, right. and be, and be more complete. But as I said, for me at the minute, TAA is number one on the list, uh, with, with Klein sadly behind. And David, what do you think? Do you think he's a future captain? And also, uh, just to sort of make it all a bit more romantic, he's a scouser as well, isn't he? And, and people are really loving that fact about him. And, and he could take corners. He seems to be, his corners are much better. And we saw yesterday the free kick as well. So what, what do you think about him? He's just great. And you're right. It was it was kind of strange, but it was kind of nice to hear the Scouse accent on the TV yesterday and it not being Stephen Gerrard or, or Jamie Carragher um, when he was interviewed. Getting sick of so, those, aren't we? <laughs> well, well, stuck it into that right now. Um, <laughs> well, you can so, if you want. No, it's all right. It's all right. Another day. <laughs> another day. Yeah, everything the guys have said, they're, they're absolutely right. Um, it's delivery into the box is, is incredibly good for, for an 18-year-old, and that's... You can't teach, you can practice that, but you can't teach that. You know, that's a natural talent to be able to bend the ball like that with that much pace on it. That is going to be a huge asset to us um, in itself, his set piece delivery and his delivery from wide areas. It's going to be a huge asset. And I do not by any means want to to try and label the kid as a one-trick pony and say, well, look at his, look at his set pieces, look at his, his corners and free kicks, etc. He seems to have it all composed he shows maturity in the pitch beyond his years that we're not seeing on the other side of the pitch decision making is excellent he's tough in the tackle that's a position fullback where lots of players over the years have cut their teeth and I think for you know Steven Gerrard played played it right back for a while Carragher played it right back for a while although that's a, a different scenario but learning both particularly in that type of that type of team with that style of play he's learning both how to attack properly and time his runs and and make runs in the correct areas, but he's also learning how to defend. Um, and if, if he is gonna, if he is gonna go back into midfield like he played earlier on in his in his very very young career, then you know that's that's gonna be an excellent place to learn that skill set without the responsibility and the accountability of being smack bang in the middle of the park where you are more exposed. So um, yeah, Klopp's handled them really well. You know, he threw him in a little trap first year. He had, he had a good solid game. Um, he got lots of time at pre-season. He showed that he can defend against top quality opposition when we played Bayern. Um, and I thought that was that was a real standout performance for me. That was a real coming-of-age performance when I saw him up against Ribery. He was very, very impressive. He's carried that form. And we're talking about him um, after two games. I know he scored the goal, but set the goal aside. His performance has been brilliant. Salah's there. Mane's there, Firmino's there, you know, Chan's on the pitch, um, there's the continuous saga ongoing, and, and Trent's the number one name on every Liverpool supporter's lips at the minute, so, you know, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a Federico Maqueda, you know, that, that is a Steven Gerrard. And, and Dave, there's another thing as well, you trust Klopp to look after this kid right and develop, you know, this, this is where the Jurgen Klopp's of this world, having him, is so exciting for, for a young prospect like that. You're absolutely right. This is part of this is no other manager talks about players and development. He does. He's very, very open about having a project. And, you know, he's talked about Origi that way. He's talked about Solanke that way. Um, and, you know, you, so, you've shown the faith that he's that he has in them. You know, he's he threw, he threw Woodburn on the pitch um, against Burnley at Anfield last year at, at one each. Um, with, with half an hour to go or twenty five minutes to go, you know, if that doesn't if that doesn't show the kid that the manager trusts trusts in you, then I don't know what what does. So yeah, there's there's probably no better manager about or or few better managers about that are best placed to to manage a career of a kid like that. And if he even gets to spend the first you know four or five years of his career under Klopp, that's going to be massive for him and and a lot of the rest of the guys that are that are pushing through the Kents and the Woodburns and the Ajarias of that of that young squad. 
So I think we're all in agreement that Trent Alexander-Arnold shouldn't stop be starting every game. So maybe rotate him when Klein is back and fit purely because of his age. And you don't want, as uh, someone mentioned before, burnout. And you don't want him to, you know, lose confidence. He might have a couple of bad games. So basically, we have to look after him quite well. So that's one header if a clock. But there's another one I wanted to ask you guys about a little bit further upfield. So yesterday we saw um, Jordan Henderson start the game, but 60 minutes later he was taken off. He hasn't been officially said there was an injury, but I think Klopp just sort of said that he had. he's still coming back from a long-term injury to take him off. But as soon as he came on yesterday, there was a difference. So what would any of you guys drop Henderson for Milner in the next game? I'm undecided, to be honest. I, I really, I really am undecided. I'm going to be honest. They're both that poor. <laughs> well, well, because we've got issues in midfield at the moment. Because obviously, no Coutinho, no Lalana, so the options are limited. So he's really the only one I can see because I don't see Klopp giving Gruyere a chance yet. I, I, he's he's quite temperamental for me. I don't think he's ready to play first team football. Um, and what other options really are there that? that Klopp can bring in. So these are the only two I can think of. And, and because he did come on and make an impact yesterday, I'm just wondering whether any of you guys would consider it. The obvious answer to that question is just to go out and buy someone. But, Assuming but we don't. Though. That, that seems to be proven quite fucking troll. Doesn't it? Um, so, I don't think anyone's coming in before Crystal Palace anyway. So let's, let's assume, just let's just think of the next game. I don't know. If, if you ask me what I would do, I... Haven't seen haven't seen enough of Grayson Grayson probably just for curiosity. I'd maybe like to see him thrown in there and maybe the with Chan playing the six. If you're gonna if you're gonna pull Henderson out, um, what Klopp will do? I think he'll I think he'll I think he'll start Henderson um, in the next if he fit. Um, there's a question mark over that the way he came off um, last night. But if if Henderson if Jordan Henderson can walk out onto that football pitch and Klopp can get 60, 70 minutes out of him, I think he'll start. We were told that, that Jordan Henderson can't play two games a week. Now he's played two games a week. Do you don't think that the you know that there might be a better... I know we're in dire straits uh, for personnel, but is it is it prudent? You know, and I don't like Henderson, but devil's up. Is it prudent to play him uh, when you're risking injury? And people are suggesting that he's not 100% fit anyhow. Uh, as part of the problem here, is that, like you know, can can he afford to pick him for a third game in a row? I think needs must. John or Dave, to be honest, I think needs must. Um, I think Klopp's probably looking at this. Is it what five games? Is it five games before the international break? Three league games and 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 the two qualifiers. So, I think he's probably probably looked at five games and. Per Jordan, he probably might get a little injury, you know, coming into that, coming into the, the the fifth of those five weeks, and he might just miss the international break. You just don't know. Stranger things have happened, so I don't know. I think looking long term, if this was in the middle of the season, maybe not. But I think at this point, he just wants his strongest eleven on the pitch to negotiate these these first few matches to make sure that we're not six, seven points behind the leaders after only three matches and that we are in the Champions League. But but as Dave just said, if if Henderson isn't 100% fit, if he is 60, 70, 80% and the midfield three currently as it is, isn't working anyway, even if he was 100% fit, it's the element of the team, isn't it, if he plays? I suppose you never can tell. I, I haven't seen enough of Grudic. Milner. Isn't it better to take maybe the risk of... of- Choosing maybe Milner or or Grudge, whoever you know, over him. Well, for the last time we saw Milner in midfield, well, I think was was it a way to Stoke or something when when Coutinho was and Firmino were pulled and he was fucking dreadful. So yeah, I, I I don't know if you do if you want to do something to to accommodate Tan into the six if that's what you're looking to do, then I don't know. Maybe what you do is you just play Wijnaldum and you drop you maybe drop. Mane into the 10 or Salah into the 10 or Firmino into the 10 and you play Origi or if Sturridge is fit you play Sturridge maybe that's what you do but I'd, would you not like to see a Solanke come in though? maybe a Solanke but I, I'm going to be honest with you the way I've seen it's hard to tell it's hard to tell um, who's who's ahead in the pecking order between Solanke and Origi based on those last two games because I would I would have presumed that Watford Solanke would have come on but it was Origi and then because Origi came on against Watford, I presumed it would be him come on against Hoffenheim, but it was Solanke. So it's hard to tell. Um, but I think, you know, all signs are pointing to Daniel Sturridge is going to be fit. Whether he's fit enough to start or not, I don't know. 
But you know, maybe, maybe that is maybe that's maybe that's what you do. Maybe that's what he does. I don't know. Thinking about it now, and it's the first I have thought about it. It's maybe not a bad shout. So, Johnny, what would you do with your namesake in this current <laughs> midfield uh, that's not even turned up in the last couple of games? He struggled and he struggled badly. He, he just looks way off at the pace. Partly, I feel for him because he's ha- he has a real he has a chronic injury condition, and this problem that he has with his heel isn't something that's gonna that's gonna go away. So that's that's long term. That's a that's a big problem for Liverpool when your captain and your you know your supposed leader in midfield has that. The number six role doesn't suit him. It's a different skill set. Um, I know we've talked about this in the past, and I don't want to over the ground, but. Henderson had one amazing season and that was the year that Suarez was on fire and he basically ran all day and his responsibility was to break forward you know, play quick one-twos around the box and get on the end of things and just keeping the game really simple. With it, with the engine he had on him, he was he had a terrific season I think he was a huge factor that we didn't want to that he, yeah. that he that he got sent off, but this role negates all his best qualities. Henderson's best qualities are breaking forward using his engine. This position is a thinking position. You've got to be ready to cover fullbacks. You've got to be ready to step in for the center halves. You've got to be ready to track runners. None of these things he does very well. Uh, got to be able to receive the ball from the center backs and be incisive and see the bigger picture and play the ball forward quickly. He doesn't do that. It's not a skill set he has. So he's naturally struggling. I look at it very simply. I look at it and think that when he went off the pitch, when, when Emery slotted a bit deeper and with Milner ahead of him, we looked a far better team. When Alden looked far better, we looked far more fluent. We looked far more threatening. Maybe that was about to do with them chasing the game a bit. I don't know. But in my view, based on the, what I see, Trent off, I wouldn't be starting him uh, at the weekend. And as much as the the last part of that game would be an indicator that we shouldn't start him, as has been said already as well, it's just with the injury that he has, can he really handle that many games in that space of time? I don't think he can. So for me, no. He looks off the pace. He doesn't look fully fit. Um, really worrying if he is fully fit, if that's the level he's at. Um, so for me, I would take him out of the the firing line, and I would go with the the team that you know, or certainly with the midfield that, that finished rather than started it. Right, so you'd go for Milner in there because I was thinking if um, if Milner didn't start and Henderson didn't start, there's the obviously the issue of the captaincy there as well. So who would you guys look to next? Is that an, is that something that Klopp's thinking about? Or, you know, does he think that he can't drop his captain? Is that even something that he would be thinking? You know, there's 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 not many there's not many leaders in that team. That's do you want me to tell you, do you want me to tell you what'll happen? And this this is hilarious, right? Henderson not playing, Milner not playing, the preseason, Coutinho not playing. It's gonna be Lovren, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Ah! And I just it's going to be long. It is. On the pod we did on Monday, um, we got pelters on Twitter for saying, why did we sell Lucas? I think I'm going to call this pod, no, really? Why did we sell Lucas? <laughs> Dave, Dave, I think this is, now I was going to bring this up later on when we were talking about Coutinho, but I suppose if you, you want to just be into it now, I'm genuinely playing devil's advocate here, but if Lucas is still there, do we have Coutinho doing what he's doing? And it's a genuine question. Well, I brought that up in the last pod. You know what I mean? The influence that we lost, especially for the Latin type player. And I think the whole dressing room, regardless of whether they were Latin players or not with Lucas, is something that we'll struggle to replace in the next couple of years because there's just nobody, there's nobody going to be there. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, as, as I said, alluded to earlier in the pod, he was the last player that really got us and got what it meant to be with Liverpool and, and you know, through thick and thin and whatnot. The rest of them haven't been there at tea break. And and I th- I I think honestly, given the fact that the relationship between Coutinho and and Lucas was so strong, Dave, I don't think we would see Phil Coutinho doing what he's doing. I really don't. I, I would like to believe that Lucas would have had sufficient influence to have to have averted that situation. I actually don't know the answer, but it's it's possible. It's possible that have, that he would have enough influence there 
not just over the dressing room, but specifically over Coutinho, that he would be able to convince him that what he's doing, and not what he's doing necessarily, but how he's doing it. No, I don't think he could have dissuaded him from the actual move, Dave, but certainly how he's gone yeah. about it. That's, that's yeah. the part that I'm debating. Absolutely. So, so not necessarily what he's doing, but how he's gone about it. I think that you know he might have been able to influence him there. I don't know. Who else is he talking to? Probably that gobshite of an agent of his and we all know his track record and his history so I smelled trouble when he signed up with him not that long not that long ago it's a, it's a strange one I just I just think that who's the glue that holds that group together now it's difficult for anybody to, to look at that situation and understand other than people who are actually in that situation so it's it's a really it's a hypothetical question I think it's worth asking the question how much have we lost with Lucas Aside from the football, I think it's fucking wishful thinking uh, that that Lucas would have stopped this. You've got Klopp there, you've got Steven Gerrard. He's been at Liverpool long enough to know that the impact of what he was doing on that Friday, the day before the start, uh, it's wishful thinking. I think the lad's got Barcelona in his ear, telling him this is your last. You know, this might be your last chance to get a move to us. You've got. Karad Jurabshin, who's, you know, a shipster at the best of times in his ear. And I think it's wishful thinking. Uh, you know, the, the pull of Barcelona is huge. Phil Coutinho's been at Liverpool long enough. He's he's captain Brazil. Yes, he has great pals with, with Lucas, but he's great pals with, with Firmino as well. His head, the, the lad's head's been turned. The wrong people are in his ear and... He, he wants his move. It's wishful thinking. I think he does it anyway. That's my view on it. And these, these are grown men, though. Why have they got the, you know, can, can they not for themselves think that this is, okay, I, I want to move to Barcelona. That's fine. But should should I be then doing it this way? I mean, today, I don't know if, Dave, you want to come in here. They were saying that um, he's allegedly said he won't play for LFC, even if he's uh, not sold and he doesn't care about the World Cup now so effectively he's gone on strike so I just wanted to know what you thought of that because I think it's a Brazilian is it a newspaper magazine that's given um, this story and is it just a ploy to force the club's hand a bit further I mean that's what it seems like and you know there's a couple of weeks of the transfer window left is he is he doing it just to make them let him go and is there any substance to these rumours? Well first of all it was a Spanish outlet oh, right, the see. Brazilian side of things today I, I've stopped sort of leaning so much towards them at the, at the moment because they can't see anything other than the desire of the player to go 100% they they, they you know, back to everything I said before about Coutinho and the Barcelona thing and how Brazilians view it. Um, you know, so they're just a hundred percent behind the player. So I consider them at the moment to be slightly biased towards the player. So I'm not really taking very much out of anything that's being said down here at the Minutums. It's, it's it's just basically what you're saying in the UK. Right. So you think that FSG, you know, they've got to make a statement by saying no, like Southampton and Leipzig, Leipzig have done to us. Otherwise, you know. But sometimes no doesn't mean no. These contracts today, like you know, they're 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 basically just to confirm your wages. I consider them because there's very very little else of substance in there whenever it comes to loyalty. By the by, the look of things, I, I I said in the last pod I didn't think it was a way back for Coutinho after what he said after this, like going on strike and whatnot. Seriously, can anybody can any anybody around this table see the situation where where especially with Jurgen Klopp, who's a morally principled character it appears you know we saw it with Sacco he's a completely stubborn character you know we've had the respect what he did with Sacco I think it was wrong but when you consider that Sacco's the best defender we have at the club this is the best player we have at the club how how can you differentiate this it gets more and more offensive by the day from what, what what's coming out of Phil's camp and it's and I don't know whether it's being driven by by Barcelona they have track records for this t- type of thing but I just don't see at the moment it's not the question of whether he goes or whether he stays. The question for me is, the staying part, how the hell does he ever get back in again with Klopp? Yeah, whether it's being driven by Barcelona or not, the player has every opportunity to come out and deny whatever's going on in the press. So that's a moot point, in my opinion. As far as I know, and as far as has been whispered, is that Klopp wants to sell him. Um, he doesn't want that that atmosphere and an and unhappy player. As part of that group, and do you know what? Maybe that extra few quid will go towards. Do you know what? Let's go and offer Leipzig a hundred million, and see how they can turn. See if they can turn that down, 
And then let's just go in and offer fucking 80 million for Van Dyke and see if they can turn that down. And then let's go and buy someone else uh, with whatever you've got left over. And the ownership, for whatever reason, want to be seen to be following the lead of the like, the likes of Leipzig and, and show that they are not a selling club, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're a strong player in, in, in European football. Now they're back in the Champions League. How that's going to affect the relationship between the ownership and the manager, I don't know. But realistically, we don't know what goes on. I could be way off the mark with what I just suggested. It's just, it's, do you know what it is? It's a big fucking mess that is right at the end of what was supposed to be a watershed transfer window. A transfer a window that set, moment, what was called, absolutely, moment, that, 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 that set us up, not that set us up into the top, top three, as opposed to the, the top six. That was what this was supposed to do. And it's been catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe between Keita, between Van Dyke, between Coutinho. If we have Keita and Van Dyke in the bag now, again, there's another there's another scenario. Is Coutinho kicking up this fuss or is he looking going, fuck, look at these two boys we've just signed here. We really do mean business this year. Barca, they are a team on, on the wane with their two best players in, in their 30s now. Let's be honest, gaps all over that team that need improved. I'm hugely frustrated by this whole scenario, as bright as the, the spots of, of Salah's early intentions have seen. And I know he probably should have scored about fucking 15 goals, but I have the chances that he's missed. But he will score goals the way the way he reads the game and the positions he takes up. And, and obviously, you know, the added bonus of, of Trent there. At this point, it needs to be a really big two weeks from the ownership to turn this round. Dave, you made a point about being quite concerned about how Klopp and uh, Coutinho's relationship might, how they can repair it. Doesn't the relationship between Klopp and the owners cause a little bit of concern? Because um, when he did come out in the press conference a couple of days ago, he, he kind of made it quite clear that, you know, if, if they want to sell and I don't want to sell, basically they're the bosses and they get the final say. Doesn't that worry you a little bit more that that relationship is more important than the one between Klopp and Coutinho because he's just a player. Players come and go, but these guys need to, to stay and work together all the time and they need, they're need they the ones that need to have a really good relationship. Do you think that this Coutinho situation may be you know, causing a problem there as well? Look, it's like I watched that press conference about 10 times and, and it doesn't matter what side of the the whole debate you are you know you can say well it's oh, the want to sell or, or, or the want to keep you know it doesn't you can you can read your own narrative into what Klopp said it was so so brilliantly done that both sides of the argument can can gain a little ground out of them ultimately I wouldn't like to think that that relationship is strained because the honestly if we lose Klopp if we were in a position where we lose Klopp, it one like we're, we're crying about losing Phil Coutinho. Losing Klopp is fucking catastrophic. It's seismic. It's fucking doomsday stuff because we'll never get anything close to that quality at the, at the way that we are at this moment in time. And don't even want to entertain the thought of Klopp and FSG not getting along because uh, you know they, they they took so long in getting them and so on. Um, you know, this was their poster child of FSG. This is the, the manager they wanted. We wanted him. Everything about it was right. And I would dread to think that there, there's any problem in the relationship there. And Dave, what would that do to us long term thinking about the reputation of the owners and who, not even who you could attract as a football club, but who, the, who you could attract as an ownership? Because clubs well respected around Europe. And around I'm sure the world? it'd be, well, well certainly. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, Certain details of if there was to be a, a, a deterioration in the relationship, they wouldn't all be they wouldn't all be um, kept behind lock and key. So you know what does that do then? That that backs them right into a corner. Well, to be honest with you, look if we if we get to the end of this window without securing, and I'm going to say both of them, both Keita and Virgil Van Dyke, FSG I think are in a lot of bother that they can't get themselves out of. And, you know, I'm not advocating change of ownership either because that brings with it a whole fucking, a whole different box of frogs and a whole different pile of risks. You know, at least we know we're sort of in safe hands with FSG. And I cannot see the scenario passing that they don't get those two. There's no plan B out there 
You know what I mean? Like, the club is on lockdown for information, apparently, at the minute. And there's no plan B's even being muted out there for, for centre-back or for, for you know, a, a navigator role, for example. There's nothing out there. So, my, my heart tells me it's Liverpool. Just fucking stick with them until the 1st of, of, of uh, September. My head's going, warning, warning, warning. You know, but that's that's where it is. And, and the next 17 days are going to be really, really fascinating. You know, we built this window up last season in this pod. This was a defining moment. This was going to change. We had this alleged £200 million war chest. And what's happened? Nothing. We're with a net spend of about £10 million at the minute. And that's not teams that challenge do not have a net spend of 10 million at the end of a window i'm sorry that's that's the truth i i hate the money world i hate what's it's done to football but in the in reality a net spend of 10 million you are mid-table and johnny did you want to add anything on to um the coutinho situation or the owners and Klopp? yeah well i think it's very simple for me there's there's three key parties in this there's there's the owners there's Klopp, and there's coutinho and for me as a liverpool supporter the only person who fucking matters in that triangle is Klopp. And I know the owners have put out their statement on that Friday where they set out their stall and they said he's not for sale. I don't care if they've put out that statement. Given what's happened since, Klopp has has a decision here. If Klopp wants him out, because one thing we know about Jurgen Klopp is he's not a pragmatist. You know, Klopp talked about as soon as he came in about playing this emotional football. Throughout the history of football, there's been fallouts and there's been way back. There's been a way back for players. You, you look at going back a few, not a few, quite a while ago, but there was an incident where Paul Scholes refused to play in a in a game for United because it was a midweek. It was it was a cup game that never affected. You know, Ferguson was pragmatic enough to go. I'm I'm going to need this player, and Klopp isn't a pragmatist. We've seen that with Sacco. He has a very strict code of what he wants around his dressing room, what he wants in his squad. Play, he puts huge, huge faith in the group and morale. If he now feels that that relationship's gone and that's going to damage the way he works and he wants them sold, then FSG, I don't give a shit what their statement says. They've got to back him. And they can put out a statement and sweeten it over and say, listen, the manager has had the final say here. He wanted the player out. He felt he would be disruptive. We're now going to replace him. We're going to going to take this team forward. Me myself, my own view is we should we should be pragmatic because we hold all the power here. The club hold all the power. It is not our fault that Coutinho signed a contract with no release clause. It's not our fault that Neymar happened and the Barcelona have been left, you know, embarrassed that a team. Paris Saint-Germain have gone and taken one of their one of their star players. All these factors have turned this now into we have to get players in. They're after Dembele, they're after they're after Coutinho. As far as I'm concerned, the club should say to Coutinho, you've got a season here. We'll let you go next summer. Don't be daft. You can't put in a transfer request the day before the season starts. We have a big season. You're going to have to play. I think if the story today is true, that he won't play and he's happy to sacrifice the World Cup. Dave Cameron will tell you that's absolute fucking horseshit. Him at the, coming into the peak of his career, fulfilling his dream of captain in Brazil, you think he will give up a World Cup? That is easy for someone to put out there on the 16th of August. Let me tell you, if Liverpool are still saying that to him on the, on the 31st, he, he'll fucking toe the line and he'll play. My own view is that's what we should do. We should sit... Like we've done with Suarez, who wanted to go to Arsenal. Remember, Suarez was training on his own. Like Van Dijk is doing at Southampton. That's happened. Suarez had to train on his own. He came back and he put in probably what the, the greatest individual season of any Liverpool player I've ever seen. We could do with uh, that rocket up the ass for, for Phil Coutinho. So my view, so it might be Klopp's view, is the club should be pragmatic. They hold all the power here. He can get his move next summer. But until then, just button it and play. But if Klopp wants him gone, then we have to we have to do do what he wants. That's my view on it. Yeah, I think I have to agree with everything you've said there. I'm I'm quite um, 
I'm really upset with this Phil, whole Phil Coutinho situation. I'm personally of the opinion, let him rot in the reserves. If that's what he wants, he can stay there. And um, But the thing is, I don't think Klopp's going to want that. He's not going to want that negativity around, you know, the kind of manager he is. And, and what's important to him is the sort of professionalism and the team spirit. And if he thinks there's anything there that will jeopardise that, he, he doesn't want any part of it, regardless of who it is. We've seen that with Sacco. So uh, we'll have, we've got two weeks left. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. But um, before we finish, guys, I just want to quickly go over uh, the Virgil van Dijk situation because the, they've, the chairman's come out today and said, again, he's not for sale uh, at all. They've made, they've made a statement. So this saga just continues and continues. So we've got a couple of weeks left. It's not happening, is it, David? It is. It is happening. It is happening. Is it? Okay. Sorry, it's John. It is. If you if you read the if you read what he said, he basically came out and said, "Yeah, we're building for the future. We're not going to sell. He's not going in this window." But if a really stupid offer came in, you know, I'd have to think about that. But we don't have a really stupid offer at the minute. That's what I took from it. So I still think it'll happen. I'm not panicking him. So I'm not panicking. We'll get him. All right. All right, David. What do you think? Well, nobody's bid for him. Nobody. Not Manchester City, who has spent about 655 million billion on fullbacks. <laughs> not not Chelsea, who, who clearly need to strengthen their very talented but fairly threadbare squad. And not Arsenal, who had two left backs playing as centre half in the in the the community shield. Um, not Man United. Spurs are really need a centre half, but and and all this talk of of effort and effort they're going to sign Van Dijk. Not a single bid has gone in for him. So that begs the question: Why not? Why not? There's absolutely no logic behind that, other than something's going on in the background. That's what I think. But it's going to be interesting to see who's for sale of all these players that aren't for sale. Come the 31st of August, who's it? who actually is for sale and who actually isn't for sale? I say all of them, Dave. I say well, they all have a every, price. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. But, you know, I, I just think it's mind-boggling that there hasn't been a bid made for who is probably the best centre-half in that league, playing for a team who are going to finish at best probably seventh, eighth, sorry. I No, actually, just for badness, let's say seventh. And, and one who clearly wants to leave. One who clearly uh, wants yeah, what, to what leave. If, what if one of those clubs, like, you know, you, you've mentioned your Chelsea's, your Man United's, all, all the top teams are not looking at him. Well, you know, what, what if it's known 100% that he wants to go to Liverpool? Maybe he doesn't want to go anywhere else than that. And and those top teams, you know, not bidding for him. If we if we're required to have a bid come in from somewhere for him before we can bid, then they're they're, they're holding us back. They're actually doing. Well, that's common knowledge, like, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, that's common knowledge. So we know there's enough sources inside the game, and we are lucky enough to have a few decent contacts that know things, and we we know that that's the reason why we we know Chelsea and City inquired about him early early doors, you know, coming into the summer. We know where he wants to go. We know that he wants to wants to play at Liverpool. So, for now, the only thing is we have to give we have to pay the money that Southampton won't refuse. They're in the market today for another left sided centre back. I think it's the third left sided centre back. So, it all points to one thing. But I'll tell you what, there'll be some meltdown if we don't get him after all this. I, I think It'll the meltdown epic. if we don't get the two. To be honest with you, John, I think it, I think it's getting to the point where we, Van Dijk will help. But I think we need to get both. And, you know, from what I'm getting, as you say, some some fairly reliable contacts, you know, that neither of these deals are dead. And, you know, Champions League qualification will start a, a different phase in, in in these transfers. Now, and also the fact that there is so little out there, even a threadbare link to any other player, any central defender, any anybody uh, midfield, sorry, box-to-box midfielder. There's no links to, you, you know, there's the odd rumour, but there's nothing more than that than just clickbait. And I think that that is, is either brilliant in one respect or it's the scariest fucking thing of the season so far. As a bare minimum, before the window closes, we need a centre-half. And I'm going to say that we need a centre-half. We probably need Van Dijk. And we need as a bare minimum, to either sign Keita or keep Coutinho as a 
bare minimum. And if anything less than that happens, we are in a, a little bit of hot water. A little bit, I think, is an understatement. Try not to cause mass hysteria. Just, <laughs> just, just one game into the season. So you guys reckon there'll be some transfer deadline day drama? Or do you think it's going to get that far? Do you think we'll wrap any stuff up before then? Or is it going to be last minute deals? Everything we've seen so far would point to last minute deals, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, we yeah. never do. We, we don't seem to wrap things up early. And it is, mate. It's frustrating as well because I think by all accounts, Van Dyke should have been done. We should be talking about Van Dyke now, you know, getting up to full fitness, bedding in, and we should have him for the Arsenal game. But quite likely that we're not going to have him until September if we do get him at all, which is, it's far from, far from perfect. But yes, I think it'll go to the wire uh, on both him and Keita. And I wouldn't be surprised if for once, I am actually sat in front of Sky watching that colossal prick, Jim White, for a change. I might, I might I actually re- do that. <laughs> remember the last um, deadline day drama we had didn't end so well. I don't know if you guys remember Konopolyanko um, that yeah, fell that's... through at the last minute. That was um, that was the last one. So hopefully... Um... I'll tell you one thing about this window. You know, you had the major domino of the window fall in Neymar. And that money's just sitting. It hasn't moved yet. And, you know, we're, we're talking about maybe a Van Dyke moving as well. You know, all these all these moves have domino effects. Sadly, we are caught in it with them. They're going to continue. Uh, you know, so anything we we look to replace Coutinho with will probably be at an inflated price because of the Neymar thing. You know, I, I think there's there's a this transfer window, I think there's a, a lot more. And I think the last week of it is going to be completely and utterly mad. It'll, I think there'll be a mad amount of transfers going through whenever those dominoes start falling. Yeah, I, just, I agree. I just hope we stand our ground personally. I just think it makes us look really bad if we um, cave in. But that's my own personal opinion. Uh, here, Well, here, I, w- I want to ask the three of you something. Does Coutinho walk back into the side from this? Oh, he's got to, hasn't he? <laughs> we may not like it, but he's, we, the team's crying out for him right now. Yeah, unless Lallana was fit. Yeah, yeah. unless Lallana was fit. Yeah, go out, on, the yeah. go out onto the pits, stick to the top corner and show a bit of humility in front of the Amphi crowd and everything will be rosy in the garden again. I don't think it's us he has to convince, though. He's Klopp, so... <laughs> we're, we're quite fickle we'll um two goals in where anyone's but <laughs> i don't think that's really the issue here i think that relationship hopefully it's not irrevocably damaged but um well it's not like Sacco. he doesn't have a track record of this and you know i'm sure they're two fucking adults and, and Klopp does seem level-headed enough to be able to sit down and have a conversation with these not bielsa for christ's sake so you know you'd think two grown men would be able to, to be able to sort the differences out for, for the greater good, so to speak, for both of them and the club. You sound like me last season, Dave, about Sacco. <laughs> well, Dave, you know, like I say, Coutinho doesn't have a track record behind him in this type of behaviour. So, you know, everybody everybody makes mistakes. When you make mistakes four, three, four, five, six times, it, it becomes a trend. Well, Saka made them in separate occasions, and Casino's done everything in one go. So I don't a huge know. Huge cluster fuckers, we like to say. <laughs> He's kind of, you know, accused Klopp of quite a few things, hasn't he? So, um, yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. So I think that kind of wraps up proceedings here today. Um, we're hoping there's going to be some last-minute drama with the transfers because if not, then ugh, I cannot imagine to think what's going to happen with the I'm LFC fans. from this pod, number one. That's the first thing. <laughs> I think we'll have, to, we'll have to pack it in. <laughs> um, but I just want to say thanks to all three of you for joining me today. And uh, does anyone have anything to plug? Dave, I'm going to come to you last because I know you always have quite a bit. So I'm going to start with Johnny. Anything you want. Could be anything. Could be the latest lawnmower you've seen that's amazing. I have nothing whatsoever to plug, <laughs> other than I'm on Game Twitter of Thrones or anything. <laughs> yeah, I watched the leak up the leaked episode. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's rather good. I'm not going to give any spoilers. So I do you're like in, you'd encourage me to catch up with all seven seasons? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, right. I'll just find you know a hundred hours of time to do that. <laughs> No sweatums. If you know what, if you got off our WhatsApp group, you could probably watch it in a week. <laughs> probably, yeah. I need to get out there. <laughs> you guys are so entertaining. But um David, what about you? Any Bob Dylan um, tunes? I don't know. Anything? No, I um Elvis died four years ago today, the king. Yeah, so yeah, I saw um, that as well. 
Yeah, so so go, go and listen to some Elvis. Why not? Nostalgia is great. <laughs> um, so yeah, six of Elvis song. And Ooms also has her match report score. Did you do a match report for Hoffenheim, Ooms? I did, yeah. Got that done, done today, yeah. Okay, so um, look out for that. There, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> do you like that? that that's, a pre, that's a pre-tweet. <laughs> that's a good one yeah I've never heard that one um, so yeah um, but that yeah that, that's all for me and Dave about 150,000 WFI pods you're on at the moment no no you're the host that's your job I, I just can't go, I'm going to no, plug, you, you plug your pods in <laughs> No, as I say, just all, all the usual pods are coming back this week. We'll have uh, a busy end of the week. We've been sort of quite quiet at the beginning of the week, but we'll be busier at the end. Other than that, anything else? No, Ohms' articles, um, Andy Wales's Bundesliga article, um, he's going to be doing a weekly on, on the website, so check that out at www.worldfootballindex.com. Other than that, uh, just, uh, you know, th- thanks, for the, thanks for this hippie hosting, uh, Ohms. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was forced into it, actually, wasn't I? So... Well, I'll tell you what, you've done a sterling job. You'll be back. <laughs> oh, God. No um, pressure on the outro, Ohms. <laughs> well, well done, I, I can, I, yeah, thank you. I could, the only way is up from here, isn't it? I'm, I'm sure I'll learn as I go along. But I just want to get, yeah, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you guys the on the next right Copcast. Back in the world, who's the best right back in the world? Who's the best right back in the world? Trent Alexander Arnold. Oh, no.